Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And first of all, let me thank on behalf of all who are listening, let me thank our partners because of your gifts and your prayers that go with your gifts. This program can go to the world free of charge. So we thank you. Okay, I want to continue that request that we began the last time we were together. Verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And last time we settled on and forgive us our debts. But now, and for many people, this becomes a curiosity. Um, why, why doesn't it simply say forgive us our debts? Why it is linked to this secondary phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so the, the, the request is a, sort of a two-pronged. Uh, it, it's bringing in the, the whole uh, dimension of forgiveness for us Christians. And let me say that it is, in every respect, one of the most overlooked of the requests of this prayer, or maybe misunderstood. Okay, let's uh, step back for a minute. This, as I've said more than once, this is the family prayer. It begins with the two words that identify this, I say again, as the family prayer. It's, it's the prayer that the brothers and sisters pray around the kitchen table with their daddy. Now, that's this prayer. Um, it's not a prayer for the entire world. It's, it's not a prayer for the outsider of the family. It's for the believer, those who are, in fact, aware of their identity in Jesus Christ as the sons and daughters of God. And so it begins, our, our, you say, as I've said before, it's not my, it's not my father. This is, this is a prayer that I do not pray in private isolation. It is not me in my little closet saying, my father. This is a prayer in which either we are praying with others, but certainly we are aware of our relationship to every other believer and we cannot address father without that recognition that I'm not alone here this isn't a private relationship that I have I am part of the family and so when I pray alone 
I am doing so in recognition that I am praying with a vast invisible family who all call him Father through Jesus Christ. Father. And if if he's Father, that makes us sons. It makes us daughters, you see. I can't say Father without that implication. Um, So it's our Father. And when we say, hallowed be thy name, um, we, we are recognizing, using the Old Testament expression, we are those who are called by his name. And in turn, we call on his name. That is, we have received the family name. That name of God is imprinted into us by the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. We're family and some unique family in that we bear the family image, the name, the very essence, the being of God is imprinted into us by the Holy Spirit. And that imprint is love. If God is love and we are his children who call him Abba, Daddy, then imprinted in us the very genes of God or the, the biblical idea that is in the word name, the name of God, which we in us and by us is set aside. That name is love. We are the children of the family of love. And then it says your kingdom come. Well, the, the essence of the kingdom of God is love and a vital first expression of love is forgiveness and so you see, this request is coming, sort of, uh, is coming to the the focus of other things that we've been praying here. And what is the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, when it's all boiled down, we're back to love for everything that the gospel, the the word of God's will, reveals of the heart of God, His desire of what should be done on earth. It goes back to, he wants his love made manifest in every possible way. Or as Jesus summed the whole thing up by saying, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And I say again, first and forefront to love is forgiveness. If if you don't forgive, uh, I can say right away, there's no love. And if there's love, there's going to be forgiveness. So, the prayer, the whole prayer, but specifically, if you could say that, of one particular request, this request arises from the midst of this love family. And we're confronting here, first of all, the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, for it is God's incredible, unlimited love that has forgiven us. We're forgiven by grace. We haven't earned, deserving doesn't come into it. The only part that we play in this is that we presented our sin and said thank you from our very heart that he through Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection 
has declared his forgiveness of us, his grace, his love. That's the family. If, you, if you're part of the family of God, it's because you have discovered God's action toward you with no reference to your behavior. You're earning it. His only reference point is his own heart of love. You've discovered that's the family. That's the atmosphere we breathe. But then in this family, you pass it on. For it's the very atmosphere. It is the life energizing the family. We pass on the grace. We pass on the love. We pass on the forgiveness. That's the atmosphere. You come among the people of God and all you see and all you experience is grace and love. In terms of receiving his love and grace and in terms of being a company, a community, a society who are giving this grace and love and forgiveness the one to the other. Forgiveness stands at the very center of everything. I mean, center of the gospel. And that gospel worked out in us, through us, by us. Forgiveness, I say, stands at the center because forgiveness heals division. Forgiveness is pro-union. It's pro-one. And, and so, how can I put this without getting off on it? You know, Jesus prayed his great, his great prayer for us in John 17, where he said, praying for you and I, makes it very specific, you and I. He says that they may be one even as we are one. And the we there is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is saying that we, a community on earth, who are one even as the Holy Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, are one. Wow. <laughs> do, do you take in the, the marvel of this gospel? You see, this, this, is, this is what our relationship to each other as believers is all about. This is, this is what the Bible means by church. This, it's a company of people among whom there's no division. They are one, even as the Father is one with the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit one with the Father and the Son, and the Son one with the Spirit and the Father. They're one. But of course that doesn't make us a blob, a, a, a blah. No, we, we, we are all unique. We, we are gloriously different, different in temperament, different in color, different in language, different in personality, different, different, different. And yet in our magnificent diversity, we are incredibly one. And you see, forgiveness is that immediate healing of what could be great divisions. 
You go into many churches today and it is an armed camp. Things that happened sometimes a generation ago and no one forgave and no one's forgiving. And, and it's just understood this, this clique of families don't talk to this clique of families and, and, and so on. And, and sometimes it's so stupid people... Um, are offended by the way others dress. They're offended by the way they are. You get a Northern European alongside a Caribbean Latino, and, and no, I, they, they, I don't like the way she talks. I don't like the way he dresses, and, and, and all these stupid, I say, satanic things that are, are bringing the divisions. And of course, we, we live right now here in the United States in an all-out war on unity. The, the principalities and powers over the USA seek to divide us at every possible point. And therefore, of all things, this forgive us even as we forgive the, the two become one the divisions might be healed the first result of sin in the garden of eden was separation i mean do, do you remember and i'm not getting off here but enough to say the first thing that the the first couple Adam and Eve, the first thing they did after sin was to separate from each other. And they, they covered themselves in leaves, big leaves, so they couldn't see each other. The separation built a wall between. And then as they stand before God, Adam completely repudiates his wife, dismisses her, abandons her. And, and already he has announced from his side this separation with God. And, he, and there's already separation within himself. He's ashamed of who he is. I could keep going on that. Separation, sin. Wherever you find a person who is bringing about separation, you have to know that they're being used as a pawn of the devil. Well, and if I embrace separation and allow it, uh, then you know that you are being buffooned by the devil. And this, if you pray this every day, you can't do that. You're, you're faced with this. You're, you're faced with the reality. We've got to guard, guard our union as believers, our oneness as believers. We've got to stop looking at each other as Baptists or Assemblies of God or Church of Christ or whatever, Presbyterian, Episcopal. Stop, stop, stop. That they, uh, I, I will say this very definitively. God never calls you a Baptist. God never calls you Presbyterian. Never, never. Because that's not who you are. That's the human expression to which you have chosen to belong. But you are the body of Christ. That's the only way the, the New Testament talks about you. You are that community called the church, and that community is the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And it's not saying this is a jolly good illustration of us. No, it says uh, you are the body of Christ. It's a functioning reality, even as my body is filled with 
me and everything from my little finger to my little toe expresses me in my personality, in my wishes, designs and desires and ambitions. So we are the expression on earth of the God who is love revealed in Jesus Christ. And we are now his body, his presence on the earth. And the very first thing that the world has been given permission by Jesus to look for, maybe it was more than permission, He was saying, if you want to get involved with me, if you want to get involved with my people on earth, I'll give you the mark. You'll know you found my people. That's what Jesus was saying. Did you hear me? Jesus said to the world system, you will know when you've found my people. He said, by this shall all men, the whole world, know that you are my disciples because you love one another. So the body of Christ is known by its love. If there's no love, the world has every divine permission to say you're not the church, you're not the body of Christ. That's all this is talking about here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. So it is saying, let's, let's make sure we understand this, it, it is saying that we have received God's forgiveness and we, we are needing that um, on a somewhat regular basis, though it's not our habit to fall into sin of any kind, but it's there we 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 are needing that so it's part of the prayer so it's forgiveness received but you see this request makes it very obvious that that forgiveness received is woven like a the weave of a cloth it's woven into forgiveness given do do I, i think you get that don't you The the forgiveness received from God is woven into the weave of our life and it's woven in so that we become forgivers in the same fashion that we've been forgiven. Forgiven, forgive. Forgive, why? Because I've been forgiven. The two are literally one. Within the circle of our life, those whose lives touch us, we are those who are giving forgiveness. Let me say this, and I say this after 60 years of counseling and talking with people like yourselves. I find there are a number of people, a significant number, who populate our churches and forgiveness, their own forgiveness, their their sense that before God the Father, through Jesus Christ, they are innocent. Their sin is wiped out. They've been released from it, as we saw last time. 
that they're not sure about it. Their forgiveness from God is they're not sure. And as soon as any preacher comes into town that begins to bring up their past, things they've done and said, they collapse, it's over. And they come rushing forward as if they're total pagans who have just heard the gospel trying to get saved again. There's tens of thousands of these poor creatures who, who are in our churches and they're never sure. They're never sure about their forgiveness. They, they, they've got a, a sort of hanging on guilt. And then you've got the others in another kind of church where they... they they feel guilt almost as a badge of holiness. They, they feel that guilt is part of their life. And they, they live with a hangdog attitude because they're not sure. They're not sure and they don't believe they can be sure. Do you realize that in so many of those cases, whether the first or the second, so many of those cases where their own forgiveness is almost a fiction, it's, it's unreal, it's an ethereal thing, I'm not sure, it just seems sort of vague out there, God forgives. Do you realize that in almost every one of those cases, they are not forgivers. Did you, did you understand me? The person who is unsure of their own forgiveness almost inevitably is a person that has unresolved issues with other persons in their world. They don't forgive. And you see, the two are one. If I have seen God's forgiveness to me, I pass it on and forgive. And in that moment, you could say, the whole thing becomes real. Because when I forgive someone else, it dawns on me in total fullness how God has forgiven me. And for me to forgive that other person I realize I do so because my God, the one in whom I live and move and have my being, is forgiver. He's forgiven me. I pass it on. He, he's, he's forgiven. So we forgive because we've seen God's forgiveness. And when we forgive, we see with greater clarity and assurance God's forgiveness. The two are one. We're living in a strange time in terms of what a Christian is and what a Christian does. And again, let me, this is anecdotal, but it's in the scripture too, um, very plainly. I meet many Christians and their relationship to the love of God is a U-turn. That is, they are aware of God's love pouring to them. They're aware of his grace and his forgiveness. And somehow, in the mentality of these dear folks, they turn that around and shoot it back to God, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so their entire Christian life is the sense of receiving and then you turning it back to God. And again, there's a great dissatisfaction with their lives. 
And let me say, as one of the leaders of the original charismatic movement, that was a great problem. Uh, the charismatic movement released millions into praising God. But there was also the idea that we are, God loves us and I send it back to him in praise. Now, keep praising, but understand you can't send God's love back to him. Look, well, what do you do? Here comes water through a hose. Well, what do you do to that water as it shoots out through the hose? You don't try and send it back up the hose. It comes through the hose to do something. God's love to us was never meant to be sent back to him. God's love to us was meant now to be flowing through us to love others. Love others, you see. See, Jesus said, and I've quoted it, but now listen carefully, love one another. Love one another. One another. One another. You get it? Love one another as... I have loved you. And so, really, the sentence must be turned upside down. First of all, he said, I have loved you. Now, as I am loving you, pass it on and love one another. And remember, Jesus said, this is my commandment. Really, he only gave one commandment. He said, this is my commandment. Love one another. Everybody would want to love Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to love me, love one another. And I say again, forgiveness is a vital part of love. Do you see this? You go to 1 John, and it would take a, another whole six hours of these programs to talk about 1 John. But enough to say in 1 John, I'll put it into one sentence. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. So, here it is again. Jesus said it over and over. Now, John records it again that we know that is that our own salvation becomes concrete. It's, it's imprint in us is, is a reverberation between our imprinting that upon the world. We, we love one another. In fact, if you go back into the Old Testament, uh, have you ever studied the, the law, especially Deuteronomy, where it tends to bring it all down into one book? And the law there is given to us in two sort of basic sentences. And the first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But then the second basic part of the law is, and love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God is tied in with loving your neighbor. You can't separate them. In fact, the Ten Commands really are just love in ten different disguises. But then in the New Testament, it reduces the law even more. And it says the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself, Galatians. And so, Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
love God, but even that is summed up in loving your neighbor, which of course high on the list of loving your neighbor is forgiveness. Okay, so that's why you've got this strange combination of forgive us as we forgive. The two are one, and you cannot separate them. It's like the, the, in, in marriage, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You can't. You cannot forgive others without understanding and, and moving out from your own forgiveness. It's the two are one. And you cannot know your own forgiveness until you're passing it on in your world to those indebted to you. Now, it's the same word, forgive, and we saw last time that that word, do not define it by Webster's Dictionary. The word in the Bible languages, it means to release. It's joined to another word in the New Testament, liberty. Proclaim liberty to captives. That word liberty is, is part of this word in the Bible of forgive. And so release, let go, liberty. You see, when you do not forgive someone, in the inner recesses of your heart and mind, you imprison that person. Oh, you do. That, I mean, it's a biblical terminology. They're imprisoned. But, but it's, um, it's very real. And, of course, the imprisonment is inside our own heads and inside our own words. We have locked that person up in the prison of what they said to us or what they did to us, which means they cannot move away from what they said and did, at least in your mind, because you've imprisoned them there. They did it. And you, you've what well, you, you know those pictures um, of the, in the Olympics when shall we say someone's doing um, uh, the high jump or whatever, and and, and they take a, a photo of them on a fast lens, and, and you see the person in mid air. I mean, it, it's captured in that moment. And for generations, that person will be seen in that pose, caught in, in the act. Well, that's unforgiveness. You, the person said or they did, and, and you catch them. That's it. And you will never let them move from there. That's who they are. <clears throat> Might have happened 10 years ago, but as far as you're concerned, nothing's happened in their life since. That's who they are. That's the kind of person they are. And, and along with that, we, we do a continual replay. You know, the late, 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 late night replay movies um, on TV where they go over, the, uh, over and over again. And you, you've seen the episode a thousand times, but here it comes again. Um, and we do that. That's unforgiveness. You replay the event. You, you can hear their voice saying those words. You, you remember the look on their face. You remember exactly what they did. Doesn't matter how long ago it was. 
because you go over it and over it and over it and over it and you replay it into your feelings. You get the same feelings, the same hurt, the same anger. It all comes back again. That, do you know that's a very real imprisonment? It's very real. And I don't fully understand this. But what you are doing there with unforgiveness, you are in some way that there is an energy that you are relating to that person and you are actually imprisoning them so that they're unable to get beyond, they're unable to mature and grow in Christ. I don't fully understand that, but I have seen it, and if we had another extra hour, I could give you uh, sworn to instances where when forgiveness has been given before God, to a certain individual, even though that individual knows nothing about it and is a thousand miles away, literally, yet something happens in that now forgiven person's life and they blossom and they bloom and they become what they had not been until that forgiveness was given. If someone has something against you, Make sure that you, through the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, you throw off any of that kind of energy and, and you declare yourself released and forgiven. You see, forgive. Some of you have heard me talk about the biblical word remember. It's not the same as our Western world word remember. The Bible word remember is to take an event of the past and bring it into the present and replay it so that all its energies are released all over again. Oh, that sounds like unforgiveness, doesn't it? Bringing something that happened in the past into the present, replaying it over. And yes, part of the meaning of that word is the energies are released into the present moment. You know, unforgiveness is like picking at a scab, making it bleed all over again. In the stupid belief that you're hurting the person that you cannot forgive, and they probably have forgotten you even exist. But that's what we do. No, the biblical word forget, which is not the same as our English word, it's not amnesia. It's, not, it's nothing to do with amnesia. Forgetting in the Bible means you leave something in its place in history. You leave it where it belongs in the timeline back there in the past so that it can bring no energy into the present, no toxic thoughts, no toxic bitterness. It's left there, so you know it happened, but it can't hurt you. There's no, it's gone, it's finished, and you biblically you've forgotten it. That's in accord with how God forgets and forgives. 
It says, speaking of the new covenant, God says, your sins and your iniquities, I will remember them no more. That is, he said, I'll never bring them up. I'll never bring them from the past. I'll never deal with them again. They're done. They're over. They're finished. Do you remember that story that Jesus told about this? Uh, It's um, in Matthew, Matthew 18, I believe. Um, do you remember, and, and it's uh, kind of one of those stories Jesus told that he must have had a smile around his lips uh, because of the craziness of the story. The, a, a king brings in one of his servants, and the king says, I've been going over the books, and I find that, um, isn't it interesting, you owe me, and the amount of money that the servant owed, if we bring that into modern currency, <laughs> the, the, the fellow owed the king more than the national debt. I mean, obviously Jesus was portraying this, I say, with tongue in cheek. He, he's a servant who owes the national debt to the king. He'd obviously been embezzling. He'd been obviously sticky fingers in the royal accounts. And now he's caught, and he's brought before the king, you owe. And, and the foolish servant, he falls on his face, he said, oh, give me, give me a few days and I'll, I'll pay you back. Yeah, right. You've got no idea of what you've taken. You, you've got no idea. A few days, it would take you lifetimes to forget, get rid of all of this. No. But that's, that's Jesus is portraying the utter stupidity of, of trying to erase our past with trying to do good today. No, no. What the king did is close the accounting office down, shut the books never to be opened again. It says he had compassion on the servant and forgave him. You have got to be crazy. The king has personally absorbed this enormous debt that the servant has accrued. Jesus is describing the grace of God in relation to each one of us. He's forgiven you. You see what I mean when I say that to some people this is fiction? Do you realize what I'm saying? Do you realize the good, good, good news of the gospel? You have been given an absolutely clean slate. Declared before God, who is love judge, declares you innocent. He has absorbed your sin. The servant who was forgiven didn't get it. The best I can say is he thought he'd got away with murder. He certainly did not understand the heart of the king. He didn't understand what had happened. He thought it was a... Well, I don't know what he thought, but he seems to think that he he was sort of special. He's he's the king's pet. He got away with it. You know, he got away with it. Um, The the, the king selected me to wipe out my debt. No. No, 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 no. 
I, I know to folks in the United States you don't understand kings. Certainly kings of this era in the Bible. Um, no, he wasn't. The king's forgiveness is not selective. The king's forgiveness was not just, well, you know, sort of the royal pardon for just a few. No. If the king closes the accounting office and closes the book that contains all the debts, he has introduced a new executive order to the country. It's a country where all debts are forgiven. The king said so. And of course, I believe that Jesus was making reference to that ancient, most glorious of all the feasts and activities of Israel, the year of Jubilee. Do you remember that? year of jubilee in which all debts were forgiven all lands that had been traded through debt are given back persons in debtors prison persons who were slaves through debt all free and it shouted from end to end of israel proclaim liberty throughout the land everybody's forgiven everybody's forgiven everybody go home everybody's got a clean slate we start again year of jubilee and Jesus is referring to that, I believe, sort of, an ob uh, oblique angle in that story. It's the year of Jubilee. If, if this man has been forgiven of this unbelievable debt, then that now goes throughout the whole land. And instead, this man forgiven without a clue of what's happened he goes and he finds another servant grabs him by the throat as if he's now committed some crime worthy of death he throws the man into debtor's prison along with his family won't let him out till he's paid the whole thing but of course the poor chap can't pay anything because he's in prison um well, what, what, was, what did he owe this man? In our money today, it would be about 50 cents at the most. And so this man who's been forgiven the national debt throws his fellow servant into jail for a 50 cent debt. I said Jesus was kind of smiling. He's obviously caricaturing this. But you get the point. For when the king heard what the man had done, he says, you wretched, you wicked servant. And I paraphrase, what I forgave you was to be passed on to everybody for the rest of your life. And it says that that man then was visited by the tormentors. It didn't say that he had to pay the debt. That had been forgiven. But the tormentors, I'm not sure what that means. I've got my ideas. But the fact is, every month there's the knock on the door and the tormentors come to remind him, remind him of his debt. Though it be forgiven, 
remind him of his debt because he has never understood it. He never passed it on. Do you get the picture? You see, biblical forgiveness, the forgiveness this prayer is talking about, that I'm talking about, is not some self-help thing. You know, I mean, pagans go now to classes on how to forgive and so on. They, they, They recognize that persons who forgive are in better physical, mental, emotional health. It's a fact. So they, they go to classes to figure out how to do this. Well, no, I'm not talking about self-help. That's whatever it is. It's not what Jesus is talking about. We forgive one another in the light of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to announce to us the will of the Father. The will of God was forgiveness to all and everything that went with it. And he brought that to its final head in the crucifixion when he met us at our very worst when with human hands the sin of mankind was placed upon Jesus and they spat in his face and they hated him and they said crucify him which meant to them in their language damn him to hell they crucified God who is love and out of the midst of that as they were doing their worst when the very blackness and corruption and filth of humankind came out like a boil bursting in your face. God in the mouth of Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he entered into our death and he brought that self for self, unforgiving, resentful, filled human race to an end. And he raised us into the love of the Father. That's the foundation of forgiveness. That's the foundation of our knowing that we are forgiven to the point where there's nothing more between us and God, for God himself absorbed it and wiped it out. It's the foundation. But, you see, the king does not forgive selectively. Your forgiveness from God is not some private thing God did for you, to you, because he sort of felt sorry for you. It's you included into mankind that meets with God in Jesus Christ and to that mankind God says through the blood of Jesus, forgiven. So, what you are rejoicing in your forgiveness is also the forgiveness of all persons, including that person that hurt you. You know, that 50 cent word they said, you know what I mean? That 75 cent action that you're ready to imprison them for the rest of their life. You're ready to put on them the worst thing you can think of, which is exclude them from your circle of life. 
whatever, you know what I mean. No, the foundation of your forgiveness is all that Jesus accomplished. And therefore the foundation and the limits of your forgiving others is the same. It's the same. Or could I put it this way? The way he dealt and deals with you is the way he dealt and deals with everybody. Look in the mirror and see the way God deals with you is the way he's dealing now with your neighbor. You're not unusual. You're part of this select company called human that God has chosen. So Stephen is being stoned to death and Saul of Tarsus is leading the pack. And, and do you remember Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to his charge. It's like uh, the bill is on the table in the restaurant and, and you tell the waiter, uh, put it on my charge, not on his. And you give him your credit card. Uh, the, the charge, the awfulness of what Saul of Tarsus was doing to Stephen. Stephen said, I recognize this is on a, someone else's charge, not on his. It was on Jesus' charge. Jesus has paid for that, you see. And, and so Stephen could forgive Saul because he recognized that's been included in the same shed blood that brought me forgiveness. So when I do not forgive, why not? Because I don't believe the finished work of Jesus extends to what he said to me and what she did to me. Well, if it doesn't extend to them, maybe it doesn't extend to you, you see. And immediately I'm beginning to have doubts about my own forgiveness. And when I forgive, when I pass the finished work of Christ to my neighbor, then I am also imprinting that finished work in my own heart. And I recognize together we rejoice in the forgiveness. You know, if we do not forgive them, we're out of sync with the Holy Trinity. We're out of sync with the Father who desires and delights in forgiveness and desires a community of forgiving lovers. We're out of sync with Jesus, whose whole mission was to bring this to pass. We're out of sync with the Holy Spirit, whose work is to bring this about. Our fellowship, you're not out of the family, but your fellowship is much. You know, you feel awkward around the Father, don't you? You sort of avoid His gaze. And, and you, you've told basically, though in not so many words, but you told the Holy Spirit to just back off. You know what I mean? It's a marred fellowship, and of course you're out of fellowship with, with, have you noticed, with lots of people, not just the one that you cannot forgive or will not forgive, but you're out of fellowship with so many. You're, what can I say? The, an expression we might use here, if, if such a person is within the fellowship, we say they're off. You know, they're off. It, it's, there's something off. There's something wrong. They've lost their joy. They, they've lost their peace. There's, 
this harshness come upon them. There's that look on their face. You know they're off something. Why? Because there's somebody they haven't forgiven and is now showing up everywhere. You see, we meet Christ in each individual person. Or to say it another way, we meet the person in every cell of their body. If you hit my little finger, I shout out and say, you hurt me. Or didn't Jesus say that to Saul of Tarsus? When Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the body of Christ, Jesus, one he'd never even met, says to him, why do you persecute me? That every time Saul laid hands or said a word against a believer, it was felt and known by Jesus. And so when I will not forgive, I'm out of sync not only with the Holy Trinity, but with the body of Christ, with Christ himself in the body. Oh no, this is very serious, very serious, this prayer. When someone asks for your forgiveness, when somebody does you wrong, take it seriously. Don't give me that evangelical nonsense that says, oh, it was nothing. Yes, and then you don't talk to them for the next 10 years. No, it was something. When a person asks forgiveness, take that so seriously. And in the name of Jesus, give to them the forgiveness that is theirs in Christ and you joined with Christ, confessing the finished work of Christ, you give it to them. Just before I close, could I say this? That you can only forgive persons that have hurt you. That's another thing that's rampant today. You, you Don't take someone else's offense. Someone hurt your best friend. Well, don't take that as your, you, you don't now hate that other person. You can't say they hurt me. If they hurt you, they hurt me. Well, they didn't, did they? they it was said to your friend. And when you take your friend's offense and make it yours, now you're in big, big problem. Because you see, your friend who got hurt she or he can forgive. They were hurt. They can release that person. You can't because they never actually said it to you, did it to you. You took something that wasn't yours. So you're now stuck with a hurt and a pain that didn't belong to you in the first place. Nor can you release the person because they never did it to you. But maybe more importantly, you were that person's friend. They got hurt. You were there as a friend to counsel them and give them wisdom, not to get into their mess, but to stand outside it and tell them what you see. They're in the pain. They're in the hurt. They don't know what they see. You can speak to them from outside of that. The moment you take their offense, you're with them, dragging them down. Oh, yeah. And another thing let me tell you, forgiveness doesn't make us become best friends with the person that just hurt us. That's something else. Forgiveness is not reconciliation, but it is the first doorway. I have to, I must, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me and carried me in his resurrection, 
I must. It's a necessity that's laid upon me. I must forgive everybody in my world. I must release them to God. I must release them. I'm not their judge. I'm not their jury. I'm not their executioner. I release them to God. I do it with words. And if, if, if it's of anything of any significance, something you know that normally one would remember and be hurt over and over again, if that's the case, I, I name the date and the time and I say out loud the release. I'm thinking of one case in particular. I remember standing, feeling deep hurt. I had been wronged in a way that could involve the collapse of this entire ministry. Incidentally, this happened 40 years ago. But And, and I stood there against all feelings... I let my heart and my will speak. My feelings were in, in a, a fire of rage. I, I could have murdered the chap, I think. But I spoke my true self in Christ. I exercised my will in him. And I said, John... I release you to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ who has taken the hurt that you have just now done to me and I leave you there to work it out with him. And I went on and said, this is the 15th day of May at 9 o'clock in the evening and I declare you forgiven released and set at liberty at the feet of Jesus. And I had a great peace for half an hour. And then the flames of feeling rose again. And the voice within said, how could he have said that? What do I do? Try and start trying to do it properly this time? No. I said half an hour ago at nine o'clock on this day, I released John to the Father in Jesus Christ. He doesn't live at this address anymore. That's the end of the discussion. And immediately there was peace. That went on for six months. Gradually from half an hour to an hour to a day to a week and so on. That's forgiveness. And that's the fight of faith in which you stand for the truth the truth of forgiveness and our involvement in Christ as we pass that on. Interestingly, did you notice, I'm done now, but did you notice this is the only behavior that's mentioned in the prayer? You notice that? Forgive. That's interesting. I mean, all the other behaviors that one might pray, but they're not mentioned. Of all the behaviors that make up the Christian life, they're not in the prayer. But this one is. Because this is foundational to our walk, not only with God, but with our brothers and sisters. 
making of the body of Christ, that community of love by which the world knows we found the body of Christ. Amen. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now, stirring your heart to love, opening eyes to areas when forgiveness is needed, granting you the grace, the enablement to release the persons of hurt into the feet of Jesus. That is my blessing to you this night. And that's the way it is. <laughs>